0: Saying low, Apple Music.
1: Hey, thanks very much for checking in. It's another conversation on the interview series. Going to keep it really brief on this one. No sponsorship messages, because, you know, well, we've never done a sponsorship message. Kind of wish I could, though. I, mean, I sort of wish that I had a chance to sort of be like, hey, get down to Harry Styles' burger bar. Harry makes a great burger. And if you get down there, you can tell him that I sent you, and you'll get two burgers for the price of one. They won't do drinks though. They can't do it, I'm afraid. But uh two burgers for the price of one's a pretty good deal, don't you think? what you gotta do is just say yeah uh, Zane sent you from the interview series down at Harry Styles' Burger Bar, and Harry will take good care of you. Really great patties, great, great quality of meat, and they just know how to they cook it just right. They know how I want it cooked, very personable service. Harry Styles' Burger Bar. It's just a great time. So get down there and tell them I sent you. If you're hungry, you can get two burgers and only pay for one. Today's guest is Harry Styles. Nice nails. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and your nails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us. I love what you've done with Pleasing. I think it's awesome, and, I, and it's funny, you know, because I was walking around Coachella on the first weekend and everyone's nails, uh, you know, and, mm. and it's, it's just, like, my kids were doing it and they were doing mine at the beginning mm. of quarantine, and, of course, it's fun. It's an awesome thing, but what made you want to do that? I know it's a strange place to start, but I just noticed your nails. Mm.
0: I think, for me, like, a big part of it is... Like I really like making stuff and I really like kind of coming up with ideas and collaborating with I feel like I'm really lucky the people around me that I get to work with are Mm. really fun to work with and you know working's like my favourite thing to do so based in the fact that I think it obviously begins as a hobby so then like getting to make stuff for work I feel like is a, a real gift I think if I didn't think about it too much. I would be making music and putting out music constantly. But I'm also aware that I'm a total control freak and Mm -hmm. I want everything to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like, oh, I made these four songs, I'm just gonna put out an LP because I made it. it." I'm just like, it's just not how I think
1: of it. I'm glad you said that because I think that there is this, um, especially now, there's this kind of subliminal urgency in the arts to constantly feed. And I, I always really welcome that kind of opposing philosophy, which is like, mm, yeah, there's, haste is fine, yeah, but care is a whole other thing. Yeah, I think the,
0: the biggest thing that resonated for me, I can't remember what, I think it was, maybe like the Emmys or something, and Michaela Cole won. And she said like, you know, don't confuse visibility with success. And I think it's so, <laughs> it's, it's just like, it, it can't be, put better than that i think and it's not an easy place to get to because it's a world where like we all just want to be loved and then inside that like music is an industry where everyone just really wants to be loved really bad it's a
1: psychology thing huh?
0: yeah and everyone's (laughs) just kind of like you know gagging for it and that kind of Positive, like reinforcement. And not
1: to dark tower it, but there's more than enough parts of the experience that are willing to play into that desire for love. And it's like, cool, you want to work, we'll keep you working.
0: Yeah, and I think what is so exciting and like dangerous about it is that you put so much love into an industry that's so fickle and that like (laughs) it loves you back when you're doing well. And like if you're not, you're just out. And and, and that's like, it's understandable that it's really scary to go away and be like, you know, no one's talking about me, or, or, you know, no one cares, or, like, all of that stuff. Get into that kind of place, and, like, I have to get onto social media and, like, remind people I'm alive, or all of that stuff. And I, I, I just kind of feel like... I did a lot of that kind of constant thing when I was in the band mm. and it's, it's really easy to kind of brush off, you know, the, the pandemic, everything that happened and brush off the kind of, oh, it was a big time for self-reflection and a lot of perspective changes and all of that stuff, which everyone went through mm. to kind of go like, oh, I went through a big phase of self-reflection.
1: It's really kind of like airy. But it doesn't mean it's not true. We can't brush it off, and in fact, I didn't want it today because of that. I think everyone's so exhausted talking about it, but there are some things we should never forget.
0: Yeah, you're never going to be up here forever, so you better find something else that makes you happy. (laughs) Because the best people who are truly like unicorns of music are the ones who do it and then are gone. So you never see them anywhere else. And eventually, they're up here enough that when they come back, it it matters. And for for a really long time, I was terrified of what my life was if I wasn't up here doing music, like on a show, doing something. And then you're faced with a time when you can't do that. And the great leveller of, like, it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter this, doesn't matter that, you can't travel, you can't do this, you can't go outside your house it's like suddenly you're forced to not be this musician guy, you're forced to be like a friend and a brother and a son Mm. and all of those things and I actually feel like I, you know, kind of had a little bit of a chance to focus on that at least for a moment Um, and just stop and kind of take in a lot of stuff and remember things and you're kind of gifted this stolen time and you feel like, oh, I can get a head start, I can just start making stuff. And I kind of stopped for a second and looked at what I turned to, to listen to and what I was watching and all that kind of stuff and was like, what does it actually mean to make something? And what does it mean to me to
1: make something as my job? So you, you removed time as being the primary, because that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, We're talking mm-hmm. about what you spend your time doing how you use it to connect with people, when it's time to make an album, when it's time to tour, time, 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 time. Mm -hmm. Just what does it mean? Yeah. Beautiful. There's so much I wanna pull out of that and I'm gonna try and do it in some form of, some kind of lovely way, but I feel we have to acknowledge this because, you know, we at one point, we were gonna do this in the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. but there's something wonderful about being in this afterglow and Palm yeah. Springs, which is, I'm sure, how you feel a little bit after these two amazing headline shows, Two Fridays on the Trot, man. You just seem super light on your feet and chill, you know? <laughs> which I can imagine, just in a lot of ways, there's, there's probably relief involved. That may surprise mm. some people, but there must have been some relief knowing that you did it. I
0: just, you know, if I'm going to put something out, whether it's a show or an album or a song, or I, I want it to be perfect. Mm. And... Um, I think, like, that's why I take so much stress on, I think, around something like Coachella, because I feel like I want to be good. I, it, like, if it's not going to be good, I'd rather not do it. So, you know, in that kind of setting, no matter what it is, kind of, you know, the dust or the wind or however many things, it's like so many things can go wrong in that situation, and, and it's not your show. Mm-hmm. and. It's my first festival, mm-hmm. so you know I'm kind of going out to the crowd, and I like knowing what I'm stepping out to and no chance had, like, no chance no idea, <laughs> and that was really terrifying and what was your instinct when they asked you to do it? Did you want to run? I think my instinct usually is like that's too scary, so I'm probably going to say no, yeah. But that's kind of like also what's fun. It's about like... That's a little thing that
1: gets in your stomach, and that's the thing. man, It's hard to shake that. I mean, it's the
0: same thing with making an album or Mm. making a movie or something. It's like, yeah, it's obviously easier to not do it.
1: If your only reason to say no is because your gut's churning and you feel scared, you can't turn it back on that.
0: And I think that goes down to songs as well, like Mm. being uncomfortable with something doesn't mean it's bad. You know, it's, it's funny. It's like the songs that... When I wrote them, they kind of made me so uncomfortable because I was like, I don't know if that's, I don't really know what it is. Like, I don't know if, I can't tell if I love it or if I hate it. That's just like the funnest place, I think, to make music. I remember, like, I played some songs to Rob Stringer when I was kind of like getting close to feeling like the album was getting somewhere and, as it was, was like the last song I played as part of like the added bunch. Cause I was like, I don't know if this will be on the record mm-hmm. or anything.
1: Rob's your record boss, by the way. And Rob's also yeah. one of the most British people you'll ever meet in your yeah, life. So he's, he's gonna tell you the truth Yeah, in a very unflinching fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I just feel like that kind of uncertainty is, is always the best,
1: really. You know, it was your first festival, but also you went out on stadium stages really, really early on in your whole Mm -hmm. journey as an artist and so that side stage, that deep end, you've done that before Mm. but I wanted to ask you what that level of applause and that level of reaction from that many people, how that's changed for you then versus now? Like, are you able to absorb it more now, appreciate it in a different way, see it in a different way? You know, coming out of the band I definitely
0: felt like like I have to get comfortable with the fact that I'm might not do that again. Like, I'll yeah. probably never do that again. To that, to that level? Yeah. You know, it just felt so separate from any individual. It never felt like, you know, you, you were never on stage being like, yeah, this stadium's full because of me. Yeah. It felt like the band was like this thing that kind of like hovered above all of us. And, you know, we each like played a part in that, but it was all... Slightly disconnected like in a strange parts, way. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard to say that it means more because I guess personally, obviously, there's, a, there's, there's something to it that is so unbelievably touching. Something about, like, maybe you can fluke it once or maybe something. And I think, like, when I did the first tour and the crowd was there, I just kind of felt like, holy shit. Like, this is, I don't know, it just, it it made me feel so liberated. Like, the crowd is so emotionally generous that they just want me to be having a good time, and I can feel that. Doing shows is my favorite thing to do, like, in the world. And it's really easy to be like, you know, when it stops being fun, I'll stop doing it. I wouldn't feel good, like, having people buy tickets. You don't want to If it. I'm, like, honing it in.
1: I don't know, man. You know, you find other ways to connect. What I'll say is that from a fan's point of view, watching you on stage right now, feels really special to be in that crowd. Mm. As a fan, and you know I am, but to be around sort of on that night, whatever it was, 50,000, 60,000 fans, you're right, there was just this this level of care and love that was being thrown back at you. Normally it's so how they run, I love you all so much, you're the greatest crowd ever. And they like, "Oh, right, we love you too. But it felt like people loved you before you even mm. sang a word. It was like, come on, we're all here. That's why I said you did it on text, because yeah. it just felt like the only thing I could say, like yeah. you did it.
0: <laughs> I feel like sometimes you get it with like comedians a lot, where they come out and the first thing they make you feel is like, you don't have to worry about me. Mm. Like I'm not asking, Mm. I'm just doing it.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) And like, I'm having the best time ever. Yeah, I feel like Jim Carrey did that like a lot. Like the first thing always felt like, I'm good. Like this is happening and you can come and join the party or you can do whatever, but it affects me zero. Mm. I've just tried to do that in terms of, you know, I had like, before the first weekend I was nervous and you know, Someone said to me, "Like, just have fun." It's the only thing we care about as your group of friends around you. Like, just have so much fun when you have people around you who make you feel like that. You feel like you can get back to what it's about. I think,
1: and it's really, really liberating. Man, we all needed that. 2020. I, I was thinking the other day, like where we were in November of 2019, mm-hmm. mid-November, and. I couldn't get my head around that it was only a few months later that everything had changed. It felt like Mm. there was so much more time between that conversation when we were on the coast and what eventually happened. And then I was suddenly reminded, you didn't even get to tour. Mm
0: -hmm. Like you
1: did those kind of kickoff shows, you played the album, played the album in LA, which was awesome. And then that was kind of it. And like everybody had to put their plans on hold, but it must've been so rewarding for you to finally get out and be able to tour that record and do Mm -hmm. it safely and wave the flag, you know, for your fans that like, we can do this. The delay in it almost like
0: I couldn't really in a lot of ways like go out and promote the album. It was somehow more powerful for me because I kinda just got to like watch it do yeah. its
1: thing. Yeah. And, and then when that crowd shows up in the arena, we've lived with these songs. Right. Like for so long Yeah, that, you know, hearing you you play a song like she is just like a whole other level uh-huh. than where it would have been. Know, three, six months even into that, into that cycle.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have, everyone has more of their own experiences with the music and stuff. And yeah. What it means to them is like, allowed to develop more and all of that kind of stuff. But I think also for me, by the time we went out touring, I'd finished this album. And I got to play those songs with knowledge of what was next. <laughs> and so I kind rare. of got to like... I mean, I felt like I to—I had like a secret the whole yeah, time. Yeah,
1: which is great, but also like that it's, cycle uh-huh. of like, exhaust yourself playing the songs you once loved and then somehow drum up the the creative energy to go make another batch of songs.
0: Yeah, I think... The, the... <laughs> it's just,
1: I don't know if it works now, I don't know. I mean, that was amazing what you got to do.
0: Yeah, I, I think I thought about it like, if you asked anyone if they could go back to when they felt the best about making music, Yeah would they have made another album or done another tour? And I feel like everyone would take another album. Yeah. Like in the moment where yeah. they feel like I'm just, I can make stuff freely and feel really good about what I'm making, I feel like everyone would take an album. And, you know, I, I, when I went into rehearsal for the tour, I'd just been mixing the new album, so I'd been listening to it like constantly, constantly, constantly. And I get to the first rehearsal, I'm trying to like remember the words that happened before, and I was like, what of it?
1: What are these songs? This is <laughs> plus they're very crazy. different songs. Yeah, you know this is an evolution. that we're going to get to that. But the album sonically and songwriting wise, and, the, and we've got to spend some time on the words because your words are at another level. All that's to come in this conversation. But it's a very different experience. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like all of a sudden you're reminded about who you were. It must have felt like yes, like a long time ago. It's a yeah. weird time space continuum thing. Yeah, at that moment.
0: You know the other version of like I'd gone on tour. And then I'd finished the tour and been like, all right, going to go make another album. Mm. There's, there has to be some fatigue there, and there has to be some kind of like... I always try and keep writing, always, so that you don't get into the thing of like a hard stop, and then you go, okay, now I have to follow something up, yeah. or I have to prove something because that didn't go well. And my favorite thing about this album is, while it's so different, I think it was very much made with the same intent as Fine Line. Which is what, if you can boil I it down? I think it just felt like, from the first album, I think it wasn't necessarily like a super commercial album. And I think there was something in doing the tour and people coming and dancing and having a good time. That made me feel like, OK, you just want me to make what I want to make. Obviously, with the knowledge that, like, if my favorite artist if i went to a show and felt like okay they've stopped doing what they want to do mm. then like it's not fun it's not exciting watching someone like fake it
1: i always feel a little kind of bit done. responsible as a fan maybe i'm taking yeah. it too serious i always feel like man did i corner you right did i expect you just to keep doing the same thing like there's like enough examples of it i always just think
0: in terms of like oh we really liked that so do that again
1: yeah you're kind of like, well that one still exists, but yeah. like you can still listen to that. Yeah, well, someone said that actually, as a famous quote, I can't remember who it was, but someone said, well that album is around. You yeah, I feel like it was like the... Tyler. Yeah, somebody said like, you know, you like those songs? Cool. They're just over there. Right, they're <laughs> literally below the... Little you. bit, exactly, New like, one.
0: just under here. <laughs> but it's kind of like, you know, you try and chase that thing that you did already, and it's like, maybe it sounds similar, but it's not the one that you fell in love with. So it's kind of just like not as good a version of the thing that th- you like.
1: I think that's got to be artistic hell. I think if you're in a situation where you can't get past what you've achieved yeah, and you're doing it because it fills some kind of gap, some void, yeah, it's all the wrong reasons, you know. You were so good with your fans on that tour because I, I was watching shows as they were being put up and scrolling and seeing and everything else. and. I felt like you really connected with your audience, I guess Mm. partly because you hadn't had a chance to before that. And it's like, wow, we're really in the zone. And this will be the last chance you'll get to see this album Mm -hmm. because I'm not doing two runs, the only run. Um, For people that don't know what that was like because we were in our own COVID bubble, what was touring during COVID like?
0: I think the biggest thing was like we said to everyone at the start of the the tour, like, we have an opportunity to show everyone that it can be done if you do it properly. And It hit the crews harder than everyone else, is the reality. And you know, touring crews and everyone in that circle has a bunch of friends who are also in touring crews. So it's like all of our friends in the touring industry are depending on us, showing that this can be done. Yeah. So you know, tested every day. You tested any time you got on a bus. Like the isolating was super strict. No indoor dining. No like couldn't use gyms, you couldn't do this thing, couldn't do that thing. I'm pretty strict on tour anyway. Like, I don't drink and I go straight to sleep and all of that kind of stuff. Kind of the opposite of, I think, what everyone thinks I'm probably doing after a show. But, you know, it's like, I was very, very, like, proud of just the way that everyone took it on and you banded it. together. and you pulled it off. Covered other people when they were out and everyone went kind of very much above and beyond their job description to kind of get it done.
1: Was it lonely for you though at times, doing it that way?
0: Yeah, I mean touring's kinda of lonely sometimes anyway. Yeah. And I strangely feel very lucky that I'm used to it. And I kind of just use the time, that time to like attempt to take care of myself as well as possible. Yeah. And you know, I'll sleep like ten, eleven hours minimum when I'm touring, and I... I haven't slept that much since I was, like, <laughs> 6 You're, like, six.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: But it's more, like, the travelling that is the tiring thing, and then I, I kind of look at, as, look at it as, like, OK, for a couple of hours a night, I give it everything, and then the rest of the time I'll spend, like, trying to take care of myself Preparing as, as well as I can. Yeah. And if I kind of cocoon and just, like, focus, I can... Do it.
1: I mean, you're so responsible. I've, I've got so many stories from my friends who have like texted me or called me from the road and been like, "Yeah, I broke my leg." Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> doing what? Skateboarding? I'm like, "You're on tour, dude. What are you doing skateboarding?" Yeah. Like, didn't your insurance company give you a list of do's and don'ts? Like, even football. Yeah, there's the always... amount of the amount of artists that go out there and play like well, social football.
0: Once. I did it once on the last One Direction tour where I played football and I broke my foot. See and. I did one show in Dublin in like one of those big boots. And it was so not fun that I was like, okay, I'm just gonna strap it up. Yeah. And I'm gonna take like some pain medication and I'm just gonna do it. And then after the show I'll just let it throb. Until, you know, until and we had like two months of the tour left. Yeah. So I was kind of doing that. It's it's so funny to me, cause like after you know after the show i take like an ice bath or something yeah but under whatever i'm wearing i look like like an old man playing tennis i like, have got like knee like knee brace and, and my ankles are strapped up and like the, the whole thing i'm kind of like you know
1: when we spoke a couple of years back i asked you why we were having a conversation in la and and on the coast and stuff and we talked a bit about home mm-hmm. And you made a really sort of astute observation that you know London was sort of the closest thing to felt like home at the time because you spent mm-hmm. most time there. But I could tell that you hadn't really committed to an answer. You didn't really know what that mm-hmm. felt like um, at that moment in your life. And I sort of feel that for all the reasons we've just been talking about, you know, we all had to ask ourselves like, where's home, or where are we making home for the next two years because yeah. we're restricted in travel and stuff. Um, and you went back to the UK, and I and I wonder whether that whether you found it. Yeah, I think I
0: had. I did the pandemic in like four chunks, really. So I did, I, when it first hit, I was in LA. So I was there f- until you could move around. Yeah. And I was there for maybe like two and a half months. And you recorded during that time, I did, like- yeah. So, you- so I took like six weeks where I did absolutely nothing. And because you know we didn't know. How well, it was no one be. was
1: doing anything. We were like wiping down the surfaces of the food exactly. that was arriving. I mean, it was
0: no one knew what we were doing. And I, I kind of I started just writing a lot yeah. after that first kind of pause, and then and you booked a studio. And I booked yeah. I was back in. We went back to Shangri La.
1: Shangri La, which is Rick's, which Rick's, is you know space.
0: nice because I mean it's amazing, but also it's a good kind of you can stay there, and we were able to like. Up, yeah, because how was... did the rest
1: of your team feel about that? I don't know how they felt or you felt, but I, I know for the first three or four months of the spring of 2020 out here, leading into the summer, I would drive up and down the 10, which is a freeway, and it was me and three other cars. Mm. I mean, it really felt like the day after tomorrow or like I am legend or something, mm. and yet you're already booking studio time. and you are like, come on, we're going to get back out into it. Was anyone like,
0: oh? It was definitely, it, at the start, it was definitely like, okay, is that what we're going to do? And... It was kind of like, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do.
1: That's an answer.
0: And and (laughs) like, I totally understand if you would like to come, I would really like it. Uh, I just would have loved it if you'd shown up on your own and been like,
1: all right, how do you work? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: um, So I I did like, I was maybe in LA for about three months Mm. and then I went home and had some time not in the studio, and then eventually was back in the studio. And I was in England then for like several months. And in that bit where you could, it was right in the middle of the first year and you could like travel a yeah. little bit and stuff. And I drove to Italy by myself. I drove with a friend and then I drove back by myself. What was that drive like in, that in 2020? It was kind of like an open-ended trip. Wow. And. I think the biggest thing was like any gap that I'd had to go on holiday or take a trip like that would be like, okay, well, I have a week, so I'm not going to drive, because I should just get there and have as much time as possible. And I drove there with a friend. We got there, and then he flew back a couple of days later, and i just stayed there for a couple of weeks by myself and just went so slowly and felt much more like present than I'd been in a really long time. And, you know, I'd walk around and I'd get a coffee and I'd sit down and drink it instead of like,
1: look at your watch. just look at be your like, oh, I'll you're... get it and
0: I'll walk with it because I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think like I just relaxed a-, a lot and felt like no one knew where I was and felt like a human being and felt very small in a really nice way and um, driving back I was by myself for the whole drive back and I love driving because just you know free. What did you listen to? Do you remember? I listened to like a bunch of books because I was trying to like kill some time. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the time my stepdad passed away several years ago and He'd got this car before he died, and he always wanted to. He'd kind of started driving it around the UK with my mum and stuff before before he passed, and they were taking a lot of like road trips together and stuff. And he'd he'd really wanted to go to Europe, and it had like a lot of his old CDs in it and stuff. So like a lot of the time, I would just like put these old CDs on that were just like kind of you know jazz and different kind of. You know, and then you accidentally flick to, like, some insane Italian radio station,
1: and then... Did it get emotional, man, at times, like, driving on that drive and just being on your own and having that experience and knowing what it would have meant and what it means now?
0: Yeah, it did. I felt like I did a family thing, Mm. and I think maybe for, you know, 12 years, family things have not always been able to be the priority and maybe the way that um, they should have been or I would like them to be more of going forward. And you know, you miss so many birthdays and stuff like that and then eventually like, it's kind of just like assumed that you're unable to be at stuff. And I think that was kind of one of the things where I was like, oh, I want to take a second to like invest some more time into like balancing my life out a little bit, Mm. like this working, is not everything about who I am, like it's something I do. And I don't want to be defined as a person necessarily by, like, what I do all the time. I want to be able to kind of put that down. And for a really long time, I didn't really know who I was if I didn't do this. And that's really scary, because it's, you go like, okay, well, if if this ends, am I going to be good at handling it? What am I gonna feel like?
1: What am I coming home to? Right,
0: exactly. Because I've been away for 20 years. Yeah. I've missed all these things. Yeah, and uh, I think like it just gave me an opportunity to kind of get comfortable with like who I am and kind of get to know that mm. person a little bit more. And like putting out the first single from this album was far and away the most relaxed I've ever felt putting anything out. I no longer feel like my overall happiness is, defa- is kind of dependent on whether a song goes here or goes here.
1: Which is amazing, because if you actually think about it, all this was happening while Fine Line was establishing that level of success on mm. your terms and not with the band. You were finally getting back to that place yeah. that you were in with the guys. And you're having this watermelon sugar moment. Mm. It's like number one, and then it's like eventually it's the Grammys and all these things. and you know, history, in my experience, of having these kind of conversations would suggest that that's a moment when most people try to hold on, mm-hmm. not let go, and yet somehow you're finding a place to actually let go of that.
0: I mean, I feel like,
1: you know, like I said, I wasn't able to
0: kind of go out there and be playing it and be on a TV show and play it and stuff like that. And in a weird way, it was kind of like, oh, it's not really about me. Mm. Like, that's what the audience is with the fans, yeah. The mu- like, yeah to some degree, it is very much still about the music. Mm-hmm. Like, Watermelon didn't work because I was on like all of the Pushing. selfers being like, this is the new song. It's quite freeing to have a reminder that people either connect with something or they don't. And either way isn't really dependent on you. And I think that can be really terrifying and you can kind of force it to connect. Or you can be like, The only way to leave all of this without a ton of regrets is, like, I make what I'm really proud of. And, like, maybe some of it connects, and maybe some of it won't. Mm. Some of it is bound to not to. But I found it really freeing to kind of watch Watermelon kind of happen in a way that felt very much not dependent on me. It was kind of like, you send your kid off to school, and then they come back, and everyone's like, people really like your child. Yeah. And you're like, that's amazing, I'm so proud of that <laughs> child. It's not like everyone loves me. Yeah, It's you I know, it's so kind of, yeah. it's so different. You know, it was kind of just like a reminder to me that no one really knows what they're doing. And that can be really terrifying or it can be really relaxing. And I kind of just like chose to let it be really relaxing instead.
1: Is there a song on that album that you think has aged really gracefully that you listen to it now or you think about it now even playing it live because you probably haven't listened to the album for a while I mean Fine Line's probably my favourite the last song. song on the album I think so um
0: yeah dude um, that's the one because usually what happens is obviously you make it you're listening to it constantly mm. and then it comes out and I'll listen to it once when it comes out to kind of make sure there's no mm. like yips in the way it's been uploaded or you know all that kind of stuff and then it's like,
1: well, I'm probably going to stop listening to it for a while. Why, though? I don't understand. Like, just do, for a bit. No, but wait. Because you've listened to it so no, many no, times. No, no, no. I'm done with that argument because yeah. I heard this so many times from artists. I've listened I to it. I definitely go back to it, but I hadn't listened to it kind of top to bottom. I never understand. Like, I sort of get it to a degree because you have to go play it live and stuff. Mm. Psychologically, it's a strange trade because you've got to be a fan of what you make. For sure. So I wonder whether it's just, was it conscious or subconscious well, that I, you decide that I I think it by
0: I the time get. it was going, like, I... You know, if I had like a two-month gap or something yeah. and then went back to listening to it, I was working on the next one. Right. So I didn't want to listen to the... That makes sense. You're creating, always creating. You know, didn't want to listen to that one a ton. But I I listened to it... I used to listen to it sometimes when I was running because I would know, like, where I am time-wise in, <laughs> by going by the song. So I'd be like, all right, that song's gone. It's time to turn around. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. But if I listened to it top to bottom for the first time in a while when it I think like on the year anniversary yeah. and I, I love it so much. Oh, I love so. it. Also I guess because I was making the, the new one I kind of subconsciously stopped listening to like a lot of music. I started listening to like a lot of classical stuff and kind of instrumental stuff and when i listen to the first record back i can hear where all the places where i was kind of playing it safe Mm. and i think in the second record i when i hear it back i can i can kind of tell what all the references are and i was really interested like okay if i don't have any direct sonic references like what do i make Hmm. i think the fun thing is like listening to I don't know, like, Bill Evans or, like, Samuel Barber or, like, I listen to, like, the Swan Lake mm. thing and Bunch and stuff. And I kind of felt like you can reference things by, like, the emotions that they evoke, but not, I'm not necessarily going to be like, oh, that string sounds like flames, let's do that. And I kind of just wanted to step out of going, like, I love that synth, let's find out what that synth is and get close to that yeah, synth. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I found it happening by accident. It makes sense because you talk about Fine line, which I love, mm. and when I listen to the album and I get to the end, if I was a betting person, I'd be throwing money on the fact that that's where you would pick up from, you know, and we'd go into this you know, organically expansive space, At the end of that song, the way it, you think you're dying emotionally and then it goes... It just like goes off into another yeah. place altogether. It's a deep emotional moment of music, and uh, I thought, well, that's gonna be where he goes, and then, you know, it's not. And it makes sense that you were sort of searching inward for that, for that inspiration and not yeah. externally picking up where you left off. Because that would have been an external decision. While I left there, Yeah, it would have been a cerebral decision and not one with the heart. Head, not heart is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, you know, I've worked with, like, Tom and Tyler a lot at this point, and there's a shorthand there. Yeah, yeah, but which is
1: good, because neither of them can string a sentence
0: together. Right. And uh, <laughs> And I love being able to feel more confident with them being like, I want it to sound like this, and say a bunch of words,
1: and they can get it to what I'm imagining. I was talking to Tom the other day. I was complimenting on the album and and we talked about music for a sushi restaurant. He was saying how much he loves that second verse because of the joy Mm -hmm. and that when you're having fun, as important as it is for you to tackle those deeper subjects, there's something really infectious about that. So where does that joy come from? Do you know how to harvest that? Do you know what brings it up? Or does it surprise you as well? I think
0: it maybe surprises me sometimes as well. Tom's favorite lyrics on the album are always without fail the ones that aren't like grinded over. It's always like, there's something playing and it's like, falls out of your mouth. And then it's like, this is what it is. And also like, okay, I really like making music. So if there is like a thing that makes it go like, well, you can't make that when you're 40.
1: And I'm kind of like, I want to make music that I can always make in my life that shorthand that you have with tyler and tom and the three of you creating this music now is um i didn't feel like you were trying at all Mm -hmm. maybe that's just too curt an observation but when i listened to it i'm like wow you just kind of had all the ingredients on the table and everything you put in the pot tasted excellent yeah there was
0: definitely one kind of moment of groove where it felt like there was a couple of songs that we did in a row where it was like I don't know if these are good or bad, but I really like them. Early on, pre early, I think the late best night talking. thing that happened to the album was when we moved into the studio. First day, we were setting up, and it was just me and Tom. We got there early, and we were at late night talking Shh. out the gate at the first day out the gate. If the thing that is stressful about making an album is like, okay, what's like the well, how do we start? what's like <laughs> the song? Yeah, if that is the thing that kind of puts any stress you can make a bunch of songs and then be like yeah but what's the one and I think doing that we just then got to make the whole of the rest of the album being like we have that I think like you said like fine line there's a finish and it feels like okay I feel like I know how the next one's going to open and I had an idea of how I thought the next one would open
1: so I wasn't off the mark you were thinking this is a good place for us to pause yeah I think
0: yeah. you know I, I like that kind of through line and then there's something about Sushi that felt like nah, that's how I wanna start. You know it becomes really obvious like what's the first song you play to people when they would be like oh can I hear a bit of the music it's like how do you wanna Set the
1: tone, and, and all the and all the like, and I'm, it's probably not this direct, but I'm, you know, I I hear a lot of Jacob Collier in my house because mm. our kids are big fans, and I'm now subsequently a big fan. And the way that he just moves through those '80s jazz mm-hmm. harmonies, yeah. do, 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 do. It's yeah. like, am I singing? Am I an instrument? <laughs> you yeah. know? and that stuff is so fun. Hearing you do it and dive into that, it's like you just lay it wide open from that point yeah. forward. That anything is possible
0: on this record. Yeah, probably the biggest thing also was like. I I wanted to just make music and I stopped like singing. Like, I used to feel like, oh, like I'm a singer, so I should be singing everything. So I'd like
1: try so hard to like sing. Well, also being one voice in five, 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 you get the shot. You gotta kind of, yeah. It's like, voice okay, you're it. gonna
0: sing the chorus, like, you better f-ing sing it. Otherwise, you won't yep. do it. And I found like a, uh, like, I know when. I like how my voice sounds. I know when it it feels like this just sounds like super generic and not interesting. You know, you have like a line of lyric that you don't know and you go like,
1: instead, (laughs) and it was kind of like, it works. This is fun as hell. You know, you do it on grape juice as well. You, you, you introduce another side to your voice on that too, which is great. Um, has almost a very early McCartney-esque vibe to it. And to me, at least when I listen to it, that kind of really lovely 4 on the floor, yeah. mid-tempo groove. And, you know, that song is uh, uh, just a beautiful um, tribute to uh, dependency through alcohol and the hangover yeah. that follows. Have you ever written a song with one? Drunk. No, hungover. Not um, drunk, but hungover. Uh,
0: I think there is an... Uh, a moment of vulnerability. Definitely. That is so impossible to recreate. Definitely. When it's you in an instrument feeling like pathetic or however you feel, when you're at your worst moment of a hangover, like a sip of water mm. in the morning, and you're like, man, I am not feeling good.
1: Have we heard that song?
0: Yeah, I think Fine Line was kind of a, a little bit like that. Mm. I, tr- I try and write a more on the up than the, than the down.
1: <laughs> but it's funny because this album to me is like almost in three stages, and I don't know if this is intentional. In the beginning stages, there's really a search for release, and um, sometimes that's through empathy, like in late-night talking, a desire to try and fix a situation, or searching for the through line to help somebody, and therefore help yourself. But then there's also it's like a dependency suite. <laughs> the first four or five songs is like, man what am I going to do to kind of figure this out? But they were written within a time frame, am I looking too deep into it? I don't know, there's just some interesting imagery, you know, on daylight and for instance. Yeah,
0: daylight was like, we have to find a way to stay awake and finish this because if we all go to bed, then this is going to turn out not what it would if we finish it tonight. Mm. so. you put an all nighter. We like powered through on that one, you know, and then finished it and went down to the beach and the sun was coming up and it was like, Okay, yeah, like felt correct that we'd finished it in that place. I think there's like, you know, I'm just a big believer that like life is so much about moments and especially with songs in particular, like you can learn to surf and sometimes you don't like get the wave and sometimes you the wave comes and you haven't practiced surfing and then every now and again like the wave comes and you've practiced enough that you can ride the wave and sometimes when the songs like write themselves like that it feels like okay there's a reason why sometimes I like sit out there falling off the surfboard mm-hmm. a bunch and it's like it's for this mm-hmm. moment because that moment feels so magic everything comes together and it obviously you want people to like your music I also think it's really important that it's not where making it comes from like I think there is a percentage of people who make something that has to not care about what people think about it. Because you're just always
1: going to change it. But to get there, you have to, sometimes you have to go to those painful places. I hear that as it was, as much as it has a spring to its step, and here I am running down 65 steps on Coachella's main stage about to kick this whole thing off. That's a a song about, to me at least, when I listen to the lyrics, is about kind of the desire of, you know, that scary moment of letting go and opening yourself up to new experiences. Mm. And and that can be sad as much as it can be uplifting. And daylight and grape juice and there's some pain in the first sort of half of this album, and um, I asked you where the joy lived before. Do you know where the pain is? Do you know, like as it was to me, is you know like bittersweet
0: to me. It's like the yeah. to me, it's like really devastating, yeah. and it was very much written that way. Yeah. Like I have, you know, like the voice now of it being written, and it's very like in this world. Nah, nah, nah. It's, it's like a death very, march. Yeah, it's a death march. <laughs> You know, you start playing a drum beat that's faster than that, and you're like, "This could work." <laughs> you know, well, like, it's
1: also super subversive, which is cool. Yeah, because we're all up there like do 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 do, and you're right. like, "Well,
0: yeah." And I think it's a sad one that's always been, you know, the, the, the kind of fun part about music. It's so interesting. You can a bunch of people dancing to like your most devastating.
1: Oh, Jam and Lou are the best in the world at it. I mean, how many yeah. times have we got on dance floors and danced to things like Robin dancing on my own? I mean, that's right. the, that's, that's a great example. As it was is definitely one of those.
0: And I I think, you know, as it was is about, you know, kind of metamorphosis and uh, perspective change and the whole thing of like when you have that, it's not something you have time with and people go like, oh, we'll give you a couple more days with this moment and you get to like say goodbye to your former self or whatever. It's kind of like by the time you realize it's already gone. And no matter, it's a, I think a big part of the kind of evolution of what music you make as well as like It doesn't matter if people want you to be that thing that they always loved about you, or they want you to be that person, because you're not that person anymore. Everyone is changing and, you know, I think like there's no reason to not approach music that way and, and kind of let it change and turn out differently than you started and you don't always get to realize something happens and then, you kind of look at it and be like, wow, and then you get to decide whether that is devastating or brilliant and accept the fact that it's probably both.
1: Oh, that's the trade. Yeah. That's the trade. And I mean, now that we've cracked open as it was to some degree, because when it came out, I think everybody was dancing. Yeah. And now that we've cracked it open and we've revealed its true nature a little bit, can I ask you what you were going through, or at least what you felt you were experiencing or feeling when those words came out? You know, I was in England for, like I said, I started the pandemic in LA, went back to
0: England for a while, came back to LA for a while, walking, and then went back to England for a while. All four of those moments were the longest I'd been anywhere for 10 years, 11 years. I just got to like sit for a second, and you create this kind of like space for yourself, and obviously, in Everyone kind of had their world shrunk and you you really became abundantly clear like who you missed and who you didn't miss and who you wanted to spend time with and what felt more important and all of those things and it, it was kind of like all right, we've gone through a portal and you can't necessarily go back through the door. And once you know something it's hard to you can't, unknow it. You it's can't it It's impossible and I think Yeah. Going kind of... That's what therapy tells you on day one. Yeah. Like, I, th- I find therapy to be, like, a really good example of it because I feel like for a really long time, I kind of emotionally coasted. I didn't really feel anything. And, you know, we'd go through, like, real highs in the band and stuff, and it would always just feel like a relief. Like, oh, we didn't fail. That feels like a massive relief. Yeah. I never really felt like I celebrated anything. And I had a great time, like, truly. A
1: great time is a distraction, too, by the way. Right, right. That's another form of dependency. I'm right. having a great time.
0: And, and I think sometimes, you know, with therapy as an example, is like you open a bunch of doors in your house that you didn't know existed. And totally. You find all these rooms and you mm-hmm. get to explore them. And then in a time when it would be easier to emotionally coast, you can no longer do that because you know the room exists and... You, the scale is just widened, and you feel everything that's bad so much harder. You feel the good moments so much harder. And, it, and there's obviously moments when you're at this end where you go, is it worth opening the Windows and
1: finding the other space. Cause, That's the work part of it.
0: Yeah, if you do this, you never have to go there. But yeah. If you don't do this, then you never get. To but here's go.
1: the thing: even when you're at the start of that, and it feels daunting, and it feels really terrifying, what you're going to discover, or where you're going to go. You, like I said, the important thing to remind yourself is: there's no going back through the doorway. I don't think you can't reverse that decision. I think it. Yeah. It sort of makes it. You make a commitment to that. I think also just obviously
0: just like accepting that like happiness isn't this kind of final resting place like life is about the peaks and troughs and I think the same with music you start out and everyone kind of you know tells you of this place like if you do it like this for a few years you get to this place you can do whatever you want and it's like if you just do what you want that place exists but if you're like chasing this thing and think that if I keep jumping through hoops I'll get to this place where I get to do whatever I want you have to just keep jumping through
1: hoops until someone's like, all right. There are only sort of four other people on the planet who can relate to your experience in that regard. And you have come through the other side and done some work and made some music and got to a place where I think we've established so far that it's like you're in a good place. You know, I think about a song like Keep Driving, which I know isn't specifically about this, but there's an escapism to that. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a great distraction. Mm -hmm. Do you sort of keep a keen eye on your friends that were in the band because I'm sure they've been through it too. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't not in your own time privately have been through some of what you're describing, that sense of uncertainty, those moments of really crippling doubt that no one can truly understand except you guys because of the circumstances you're in. You know, I look at people who kind of did, you know, kind of went through like some version of what we
0: went through, but on their own. I'm like, I can't imagine having done that, really. It's... um like I feel really lucky that we always like had each other to be this unit that felt like you could keep each other in check and you could yeah you know just like have someone else who gets it cuz it it's impossible to not at times I think everyone experiences this feel like oh everyone else is on the other side of the glass and I'm on this side of the glass and no
1: one really gets it and I think having that is like kind of priceless. Do you still feel like you have that? If push came to shove, do you feel like that's a bond that can't be broken? Like
0: I think there is a very much like a respect between all of us of like, we did something yeah. together. Yeah. And that is something that you can't really undo. Yeah, And you know, it's like a very deep love for each other, I think. You know, as it was in particular to me was like, you know it's not the same as it was, as a kind of through line of the whole thing of like, from that, you can then explore what the verse says and what the second verse says and what the bridge says and all that stuff. But like, to me, it's like everything that happened in the pandemic, like it's never never gonna be the same as before. All of the things happening in the world, it was so obvious that like, it's just not, you can't go backwards, whether that is us as a people or me in my personal life or any of those things, it's like, you learn so much in those moments. A force to like face things head on, whether that is your least favorite things about the world or your least favorite things about yourself or all of those things, it's like you just can't then
1: pretend that stuff doesn't exist. You're right, it's bittersweet too. It's a super sad realization. It's like the end of something is really, Man, you may wake up a couple of days later and feel like the whole world is wide is wide open, but there's gonna be a few days of, of, of acknowledging that. There's a couple of really poignant moments on the record where you scale things right back, but um, Matilda is, is, is a total standout classic middle of the middle of the album moment. Uh, you know, I don't know if you think of it this way. I think of vinyl and I think that sits perfectly yeah, in the overall. Yeah, finishing the first side. Yeah, perfect, right, It was always gonna be that. Yeah, yeah had to be. Um, once again, you're sort of writing from this really, this position of real emotional intelligence. You, you, you're offering a point of view for a protagonist, uh, a female, a woman who's going through something, trying to give her the strength to move forward in life and not feel that sense of shame and guilt, which keeps everybody rooted in one place. You know, stranger to that POV, I, you know, where are you when that comes to you, or do you any closer to understanding why you're able to write so eloquently from the point of view, in particular from a female's point of view, under? Those kind of challenging circumstances. You seem to love these stories, or none of love's the right word, but you write them beautifully. Thank you. Um, I feel like
0: making an album is like so incredibly navel gazing, like it's so self-absorbed as a thing. We don't we don't talk about that. Right. Because otherwise
1: all music comes apart. (laughs) We never talk about it again. (laughs) But I think like what is
0: affecting you in a moment, what you feel like you want to be able to say to someone in a way that is strangely easier than calling them yeah. and being like, just so you know, I want to tell you this or something. is like, it's also kind of a nice reminder that like sometimes the thing that's more important to say is to someone else and yeah. not like, okay, I could spend this day when I'm feeling this thing and thinking about this thing. I can try and write another song that's like fun about like how I've like fancy someone, and I think they're really great. Or I can be like, "No, I'm thinking about this thing." Were you thinking about someone particu- in particular? Yeah, um, And I had you know an experience with someone where, in getting to know them better, they kind of like revealed some stuff to me that was very much like, "Oh, like that's not." normal. And I I think for a lot of people, obviously, what you know in your experience feels like it's everything that you know. So it's easy to kind of mistake it as being, I don't know, I guess in this specific case, like regular behavior. And I think being able to be like, that's not normal. And I think, you know, you should maybe get some help or something to kind of go into that a Mm. little more. Mm. Matilda, for example, is kind of like I think Matilda's kind of relatively self-explanatory so I mind doing it less because, mm. you know, obviously I think it's important like it means a certain thing to everyone but I like that it was this personal story to me about someone else being able to say like this thing is more important than me just making music about myself Yeah. because I think it could mean more to you and a lot more people A lot than more people, yeah you know, another one of these songs could mean to me, but kind of disguised in, you know, Matilda from Roald Dahl's book of, like, okay, disguise it as Imagine Matilda as, like, a grown-up. I mean, I played it to, you know, a couple of friends and stuff and, like, all of them cried, and I was kind of like, okay, I think this is, like
1: something to pay attention to. Have you played to the person it's about? I haven't. Do, do they know it's about no. them? No. Well, wow. Will you ever reveal it? Uh, or will they know instinctively?
0: I think they'll probably know. It's hard with that because it's kind of like, it, it's a weird one because in that same sense, like the line of like, it's none of my business, but it's just been on my mind, it's kind of like. Mm. <laughs> we talked about this like last time. We sat down and you have a couple of people in your life who you've lost to like suicide and stuff, and it's hard. It's always hard to not go like, I wish I'd reached out to them, and I wish I'd done this, and it's really difficult not to do that, even yeah. if you're not that close to them. Mm-hmm. You know, with something like this, it, it's kind of like, you know, I wanna give you something about, like, I wanna support you in some way, but it's not necessarily my place to Mm. make it about me because it's not my experience. And sometimes it's just about listening. I hope that's what it did in like, if nothing
1: else, that it just says like, I was listening to you. There was a moment on uh, Friday, first Friday Coachella when you played Boyfriends. And it's, I can think of maybe, three, four, certainly less than half a dozen times in my life when I've been in a crowd of that many people Mm. and everyone is quiet. Mm -hmm. I know you were performing and singing and that's a complex song to sing because its harmonies pretty much all the way through and you all have to be in the pocket and you're really naked up at the front of that stage, you know? But were you able to absorb the silence? I mean, I couldn't hear anything
0: the whole time, so... It was really hard to tell that people were quiet. Oh man, but it was they, kind of, we were quiet. It was definitely like the first thing that Tom said to me after the show was like, "Dude, it
1: was like Radiohead at Glastonbury playing like exit music." It was that quiet, like, like everything just it just sucked the noise out of the field. Yeah. And for good reason, I mean, I don't know if you saw that Angel Olson did a little sort of nod and a cover uh-huh. on TikTok the other day of it and called it a, a keeper, like called it a great song. And it is a great song. Now it's a, from a male perspective, it's a very knowing song and it's a very self-aware song. You have mm-hmm. to have some self-awareness to write from that perspective. Surely. Yeah, for
0: sure. Boyfriends was written right at the end of Fine Line. like. So, you know, I'd, I'd finished the album and we touched on this last time. There was like an extra week where I went in to write some stuff and wrote Adore You and Lights Up and Treat People with Kindness and stuff. And we were recording Lights Up and it was very like fast. It was like, okay, we have like a super rough demo, let's get singers in and do it. And it kind of came together really quickly. And then at the end of that session, everyone left and started writing Boyfriends and it almost felt like okay there's a version where we get this ready to put on this album and i think there was just something about it that felt like it's gonna have its time so like let's not rush to get it done and we did so many versions of it you know it was like Vocal and acoustic, and then vocal and this with that. Jump track. You know, electric guitar, and then
1: this and then that. Which is crazy to me, because I cannot actually, and people say that to me, and I can immediately put it into a different arrangement, and I cannot hear that song in any other way.
0: Yeah. And we did, you know, we did, like, did the harmonies on everything and then took them out for chunks and put them in for chunks and all the stuff, and then at the end, it was like, okay, we need, like, there's something that it has to be to be what it should be. And uh, Ben Harper played on it. Yeah, he did. And, you know, it. Oh man. Kind of just, it's it's him.
1: No one plays it's his like him either. Hands playing that guitar. God, you can so hear that as well. It's the craziest yeah. thing. Style is a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. And he has it.
0: And it's like the guitar that he wrote like his first three albums on, and he'd gifted it. So, so his,
1: another lonely day. Yeah. Was written on that guitar. I believe so. Yeah. Wow. And
0: he'd gifted it to his daughter and had to ask for it back to borrow to play it on the thing, but didn't tell her what it was for. So I believe now will be her finding out that he played it on that So thank you for letting us borrow it. But it was kind of a, it was just such like a singular moment, I think, for all of us, like Tom Tyler, Mitch we're such big fans of him as well. And it just felt like a really special moment. Well, you like, couldn't
1: have got a better play to contribute to a song that speaks to that subject either. Ben uh-huh. Harper has been an advocate, you know, and a beautiful and, again, another emotionally intelligent writer who writes from that kind of POV Yeah, many times. So he would have felt the subject matter of that, yeah. I'd, I'd imagine.
0: I think, you know, writing it, it was really easy to be like, okay, we should, like, pitch this, maybe. At, at some point, you go, like, all right, maybe we'll pitch it and let someone sing it, and then it was kind of like... Really? I mean, no. <laughs> it was never going to be Hell no. pitched, but it's kind of like...
1: No one else could sing that. It's so Except much, Angel Olsen, amazing vision by the way.
0: <laughs> I think, for me, like, writing it, I felt like you tend to try not to, like, get ahead of yourself when... You write something, obviously. But I think there was something in it where I felt like, okay, when I'm 50, Mm. and if I'm playing a show, maybe there's someone who heard it for the first time when they were, like, 15, and this is probably the song that they came to see. Because I'm learning so much by saying it, and I'm not ever going to pretend to know what someone's experience is, but... Like, I hear you in some way and, like, definitely some self-awareness in there. And we're all flawed, you know? And I think pretending that we're not is, like, I just don't get it really anymore. And it's a funny thing to, like, want everything to be so perfect but also be, like, you're 100%. We're all, like, useless in our own way. Yeah, we're a flawed species. I think, like... The boyfriends thing, I think the the good part about it is that it is everything. It's both acknowledging my own behavior, it's looking at behavior that I've witnessed, it's looking at, you know, I grew up with a sister, so it's like watching her date people and watching friends date people and, you know, like people don't treat each other very nicely sometimes. And, I I mean, it turned out about boyfriends because I started playing it and then, saying boyfriends and then was kind of like I kind of like that should we go from here and then just kind of kept going yeah and it was kind of one of those like it was one of those like really quick like just say what you think
1: of boyfriends and you're like you know, after that song, the album takes a turn and this is the final kind of suite of songs, which I love because it's like both kind of sweet. It's like it's like s y s u i t e, but it's also S-W-E-E-T. It starts getting really light and happy and joyous and I feel like when we get to cinema, it's like, wow, here we go. Like, You seem very happy in that, mm-hmm. in that moment of the album. What's cinema about? Cinema's about like, I think I just wanted to,
0: you know, make something that, Felt really fun, honestly. And I mean, I have the kind of note of writing it, and it was very, I was like on a treadmill. And it's very just like me kind of
1: going, you know,
0: and felt like a very fun one for me because I used to, you know, tend to do so much writing in the studio, and it was very much like. You know, I did this bit here and had like the melody and then I went home and added a little bit and then kind of left it and then added a little bit more and kind of left it and then went into the studio and kind of put it together. And that kind of was the biggest thing for me across the album was like, we used to book a studio and be like, okay, we're in for two months. Grind it out. Grind it out. And it felt like, you know, I would always feel like, well, we've booked the studio, so we should use it. And some days you don't have it and you don't want to be there. And eventually you've been in the studio so long the only thing you're trying to write about is nothing (laughs) because you haven't done anything. And I think this
1: That also probably comes from that work ethic that you had growing up in the band too where it's like you're on the clock. Like how dare you stop. Yeah, you're
0: on the clock. Like you get to do this, like how could you? Yeah, And mix that with some imposter syndrome and it's like a cocktail of just like... yeah. Yeah. But... This album was the first time that we worked for a couple of weeks and then everyone went and lived their lives. Beautiful. And then we came back together. Wow, you said that in the last
1: conversation when you talked about, like, man, when you go into create, sometimes you you, you actually forsake the ability to live a life which will inspire the creativity in the first place. And I wondered when you said that, I remember exactly how I felt when I left that conversation, thinking a couple of things always go through my head after conversations. I remember thinking like, I wonder wonder if and when he'll crack that. Mm. I I think you just then, you're
0: living and everyone gets re-energized. And there is also, you know, Tom lives in LA, I live in London, Tyler lives in Nashville. There is something that happens when we all get back together in a room because we can't do it all the time. That is so exciting. And it's like there's always two or three songs that come out that just go like
1: Yeah, because what have you done? What what have you everyone's got? And everyone's
0: been making sounds and everyone's yeah. been doing stuff and you bring it all back together and it's like, we're back together,
1: let's you know So cinema and daydreaming and mm. satellite and mm-hmm. that kind of group of songs. Yeah. Sessions three slash four? Yeah, well
0: well, because we kind of had
1: these moments of out and it
0: was a lot I did a lot more writing kind of on my own, mm-hmm. taking stuff in. I used to kind of go in with nothing and then we would work and make stuff. And Going in like six or seven times instead of two or three chunks mm. gave you six or seven opportunities for those first few songs. So the whole album is made up of like, we got together here and we made these two songs straight away and then we got together here and we made these three songs straight away in the first mm-hmm. two days mm-hmm. and then we worked on them and maybe wrote a couple of others. And then everyone left for a month, then we got back together and blurted out these things. And it's like, that is the album to me.
1: I feel like the album kind of goes in the timeline. I know there's moments where, as it was, came toward the end and Boyfriends was way back there. And I think maybe Little Freak was even way further back than that. Yeah. Um, Um, But those last songs, and dude, you know me, I ain't going there, but they just, to me it just feels like you're happy.
0: Yeah, I mean, love of my life, I'd always wanted to write a song about like home and loving England and all of that kind of stuff and it's always kind of hard to Mm. do that without being like, you know, (laughs) went to the chippy and I did this thing. (laughs) And to me, Love of My Life is definitely, was kind of the most terrifying song for a long time because it's so bare.
1: Mm. It's like,
0: it's kind of just so... uh, sparse yeah
1: it's a performance
0: record and but also it felt like so perfect closer you know we moved into a a friend's house and you know made the the record very much in a room so in shangri-la we didn't use the control room we all moved everything into the one room Mm. and then we went back to england and we were all in real world that's one room We went back to LA, we were all in one room, and then we went back to, we moved into this house, and kinda, you know, I said like, I know you're away, do you mind if I use the house to do some writing and stuff? And they were like, cool, no problem. Thought we'd maybe come with a... why did you choose that house though? I'd spent some time there, and I knew it was really peaceful, and I wanted to just be away from everything, and be able to go outside and, I've always enjoyed doing that. I don't love like distractions of yeah, yeah. doing it. It's like a three sixty visceral experience of like, you know, you have an idea and you can tell everyone at breakfast instead of like, oh wait till four o'clock when we're in the studio or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're able to go through the night and then just sleep and all of the things that make it kind of everyone cares about it as much as as you do. And I think that's something that's tough to achieve. You know, we made it in this room and and Tyler was playing piano and we did like, Baby, you're the love of my life. The room was kind of below the room I was sleeping in and I just heard it going round and round for so long. And I was like, I really don't know what this is. And it was kind of one of those where Tom and Tyler were like, we really like it, trust us. Like, let's finish it. And... Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I think it's like, you know, it kind of feels like a perfect like, I'll probably end the show with it and stuff. And, you know, in the spirit of like what Harry's House is about, I think it started as a, as an idea that I wanted to, it was very kind of literal and it was very on the nose. I wanted to make like a, like an acoustic EP or something, mm. and make it all in my house and make it really intimate. And it was named after um, Hasano, who he had an album in um, the 70s called Hasano House. I kind of spent that little chunk in Japan and stuff, and I heard that record and I was like, oh, I love that. And it was his first uh, record out of um, the orchestra and stuff. And I was kind of like, oh, I'd be really fun to make an album called Harry's House. and thought about it kind of being this smaller thing and then it was kind of back to that thing of like, you know, maybe that's an album I'll make in four years or five years or whatever and as I started making the album I realised it wasn't about the kind of geographical location, it was much more of an internal thing. Like when I took that title put it to the songs we were making, it felt like it took on this whole new meaning and it was about Okay, like, imagine it's a day in my house, like, what do I go through? A day in my mind, what do I go through? Mm. In my house, I'm playing fun music, I'm playing sad music, I'm playing this, I'm playing that. I have doubts,
1: I have real feelings, you know, exactly, joy, pain. Kind of
0: like a day in the life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like all of that stuff, and um, I think while it obviously is a lot more, like, electronic in a lot of places than anything I've made, it's also so much more intimate to totally. me. And so much more intimately it made. It doesn't
1: feel like an electronic record to me. No. and It's a modern pop record, but man, the songs, if you broke them out, yeah. every one of them, even sushi restaurant you could play around with, yeah. you know? And I think in the same thing, kind of back to what we
0: said at the beginning, of like, you don't have to worry about me. Uh-huh. It was like, I'm going to play in my house and you can come visit 100%, but I'm not. You know, it's like, I'm making this because it's what I want to listen to. And, you know, this is like my favorite album at the moment. And I love it so much. And uh, it was also made so much more intimately than anything. And because of the circumstances and all the things,
1: everything was played by like a very small number of people. It's crazy. It's you and Tyler and and Tom and a few great backing singers and Ben and a bit of John Mayer and... A little bit of Dev Hines and mm-hmm. a couple of other writers, but it's super mm-hmm. low-key.
0: You know, so to me, like, it's everything, it's everything that I've wanted to make, really, in, in like a lot of ways. So you're 28 right now? Yes. And At the wor- time
1: of this interview, I was 28. Yes, <laughs> I also will be when it comes out. So is life moving fast or is life going slow? How does life feel to you in terms of pace at this point in your life?
0: I think like I'm embracing both very much. I think in moment to moment, I I feel like I'm always working at being more present. I feel like I've got a lot better at it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm able to celebrate the moments that should be celebrated. I don't feel so relieved, kind of like, that could have been really bad it's really good and that is really fun because I don't feel like the people around me, the friends around me, kind of, I don't feel like their love is conditional and it's it's like unbelievably relaxing in a way that I'm sure you know you have, you know, a family and stuff and I think, like, there's a lot of things that used to feel like, okay, there's a part of your life, then there's a hard stop, and then there's a next part of your life. And things that used to feel so unbelievably foreign to me, so terrifying, feel like I'm not 19 anymore. So, you know, I'm less terrified of them. And realizing that it's just one thing, and it's not like, chapter over, bye-bye, yeah, now, you know and trying to just like appreciate the moments and the time and I think I I definitely found a place in the pandemic where I was like okay I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to be with friends right now and all of that stuff and I feel like okay I used to feel really guilty for trying to kind of protect the space around me and being like defensive of it and I felt like I was so concerned with people liking me that I would kind of give up too much space around me that would affect me negatively. And I think now I feel okay kind of putting boundaries up. And I'm okay now, I think, feeling like if I'm not, if I'm not spending time with people that I love and people who love me, I'd rather be on my own. Like, I don't. I don't really have that need to be kind of just like around people who don't like positively affect each other. I definitely had a really big moment, I think, when like when Billie Eilish kind of first blew up. And I think being in the band, I'd always felt like we were like really young, we were just really young. And it was like fun and exciting because we were young. And I had a moment seeing her do this at such a young age where I felt like, I'm not that young anymore. And for a while it was like, how do you like play that game of like remaining exciting? And I just had a moment where I felt like, okay, we're not the same thing and in the same vein of like you're not always going to be the kind of young thing, I was like okay, I would like to really like think about who I would like to
1: be as a musician. This is so crazy because like. my, my other question was going to be like what does maturity yeah. mean to you when you've always been this kind of Prince Charming of pop music and it's like <laughs> how do we keep you in this space, you know, and I don't think anyone wants to but I wanted, and I'm so glad you're going here because that was mm. going to be how I was going to finish. Like, What does it feel like? Well, I think,
0: like, you know, we've ran into each other, like, you know, a couple of times, but I'm kind of, like, from afar, incredibly thankful to her, because I feel like she felt like she represented something to me that I don't know. It felt like came in in a way that was like, you're not, like, don't worry about being this thing ever. Because you know she's like a lot younger than me, and there's no point in me going like, okay, how do I get back in? How do I like mm. get back to like? She sort this of broke the spell. Is what yeah, you're she just saying. totally broke the spell for me in a way that I'm like very grateful for. That you know is maybe weird because I've never told her that, but for me, it just let me go. Like this is so unbelievably liberating to go. I just wanna make good music. Like that's it. I just that's what I wanna do. And everything else is like what it will be. And that's kind of
1: it. I'm mm. Just finishing up my second burger and still got a little money in my pocket. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate it ludicrous, right? I should be doing those sponsorship reads. I feel like they're one of the most fun parts of having a podcast. Don't you think? Oh, I mean, there's so many good ones. My buddy Bill does great ones. I mean, the way he delivers them is so good. He'll just be like, hey, you know, you got to get down and check out my buddy at Rick's Tires. Rick will take good care of you. You know, he'll make sure that you hit the road safe with a great tread. (laughs) All right, rate it comment if you want follow it if you want or not ah.